When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome back to a new installment of the Wide Ride Podcast. I'm your host, Miami Hurricanes beat writer Manny Navarro of The Athletic. It's Wednesday around 11.45 a.m. Carlos Ledo of the MIA All Day Podcast is back with us. Carlos, you you look very refreshed. First of all, your goatee, I mean, it's black. The last time I saw you, it was gray. What, what happened? So uh, usually in season, I have my, my Just For Men. No, usually I, I use Just For Men every once in a while. It just had been so long, like probably like six weeks since I had done it. So I had the full, actually more than that, since I had my full, I had the full Santa Claus look on me, uh, which, which I detest because it makes me look older than I actually am. Mm-hmm. And uh, I actually shaved. So the, the, there's no additional gray coming in. So just admit it, you were motivated by the comments on YouTube saying that you looked much older than you sounded, according to uh, some of the comments. Well, first of all, there was one comment, one comment. And the guy said, I, I sound younger than I look. So let's not let's not misconstrue that. That could be taken <laughs> in a positive light or a negative light. But yeah, whatever. Uh, I used my just for men this week so I can look more my age. Uh, the Canes have been through four practices so far. They're practicing today, but there's no media. So I'm, I'm not counting that. To me, they've only had four practices since we're not allowed to be out there. So I'm not counting it. Um, and they have yet to be in full pads, maybe until today. Maybe that's why Mario didn't want anybody around. Um, but, you know, it's been basically short, shorts and shoulder pads. Um, we've been out there to see, um, you know, basically warm-up drills, stretching exercises, and then Mario kicks us off the field by the, you know, when it's time to start doing seven on seven, 11 on 11. Um, and yet all these opinions, Carlos, have come out about who's doing really well in camp and who isn't. And well, listen, I, the first opinion that I want from you is who seems to be the most limber of the Hurricanes during that stretching period? Because <laughs> that to me is going to determine how well they're going to perform. Can I say Logan Sagapolu, the uh, the the offensive lineman from Oregon, the, the seven hundred? You can say where we are. That's, that's pretty impressive. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, I mean, I saw him uh, touching the floor. Maybe that's because he's not that tall, but he was able to to reach down pretty easily while doing these stretching exercises and, and limber. So uh, yeah, listen, I'm not that tall either, and I can't touch my toes right now. Uh, I mean, I think I would rupture uh, a spleen, pop two hamstrings, destroy my MCL and ACL on the way down. There's been a lot of hot takes, brother. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I heard somebody, oh, what is new, what, what is new? This is, I, this is I, the hurricane fan base. I heard somebody saying, uh, a reporter who was out there, a guy who, who's been around the team a long time saying Ja'Curry Brown, uh, may not ever play quarterback here. Cause he's been off on his accuracy the first couple of days. I was just like, how can we, how can we make any determinations about anything without seeing 11 on 11 or, or seven on seven? Like, how can, like, that's why this season. You know, when when this time of season, rather, when when I'm out there and I don't go out there often because if we're not going to see anything of value, uh, I mean, I basically go out there to shoot video for the fans. That's what I do. I posted a, a seven minute video yesterday 
of of basically guys going through stretching and a couple of light drill exercises. But the reality is you can't sit here and say, oh, this guy's killing it in camp, man. He is so he's he's rising up the depth chart. He's going to be the surprise. He's going to be this. He's going to be that um, because we're not seeing anything of value. And Mario wants it that way. He doesn't want us reporting what's going on in camp. Yeah, I think I think the closest anybody's going to get to anything. It's, uh, you know, Joe Zagaki and Don Bailey Jr. who are out there um, while they get to stick around. The media partners, the ESPNs of the world, ESPN, by the way, the ACC network, they will be at Miami uh, tomorrow. So they'll get full access to everything and see practice and the whole thing. But to me, unless you're a, a radio or, or TV partner, you're just the media, the, the people going out there trying to report on this team and shooting clips, they're not going to see anything of substance. Now, you may see where a guy lines up, right, in stretching exercises, but even that, I know Mario's messing with guys. There's guys lined up in orders that you know have nothing to do with what the depth chart should look like. So um, that's why I find it all silly. And that's why I ask you as a, as a reader and as a fan, and I know you, you're coming back from Disney and you're totally refreshed. What have you sort of gravitated? What's been your first thoughts coming off the first few days of practice? Is there anything that's even grabbed you? Well, first of all, my first thought is like, is it sad? Um, or what is your initial reaction to see that our last episode on YouTube has like 500 views, whereas the seven minutes of people stretching and jogging has like 1,500? Like, what uh, What are we doing here? Like, it's actually, it, it's actually over 4,000 this morning. The, uh, oh, Jesus. The views wow. of- Yes. I mean, listen, they, they, we're not sexy enough as, as much as we may be working to, to, to look better for the camera. Yeah. Uh, but you know what the problem is? We need to stretch on camera. Maybe we need to like come out here in some biker shorts, uh, maybe a full, like a, a wrestling leotard. Right. And, and just start stretching in front of the camera as we do the podcast, because maybe that'll get reviews. Apparently that's what people want. Well, I can tell you this, our downloads. <laughs> okay. On the podcast are still very, very good. Okay. And, and <laughs> well, because are, they don't have to so, for some reason, people are still listening to us. Um, uh, thankfully, thankfully, I mean, it, it's obvious they don't want to watch us as much, <laughs> but uh, at least at least you guys listen, which I appreciate. But uh, yeah, listen, man, I, as of right now, to me, there's there's really nothing interesting that's coming out of camp thus far. Um, <clears throat> I mean, projecting the starters right now, projecting who's going to do what, all of that is still kind of in flux. And I don't think like I think much like last year where I discussed this with you before the season and that it ended up being true the people that end up or the guys that end up being in the starting lineup week one to two to three are not going to be the same guys that end up being in the starting lineup later in the season, because I think it's going to take time for one guys to get acclimated and developed, especially those transfers and guys that came in late after the spring. Um, And Mario's going to give those guys that were here during the spring and went through those phases of the workouts, the fourth quarter program and all that stuff, every opportunity to earn jobs early on. He's going to trust those guys early on more because they went through it until these other guys that came here later can prove it or, you know, so far outperform the other ones in front of them on the roster and the depth chart that they get the opportunity. I think it's going to take a little bit of time, but I think mostly you'll probably see, you know, by Texas A&M, maybe after Texas A&M, some shuffles in the starting lineups and the rotations, and and you'll figure out who the guys are. I think more than anything to me moving forward, I think long-term the vision this year, you're probably going to see a lot of guys play against Texas A&M. I think, because they want to see who has what against the best level of competition, right? You're going up against the SEC, one of the top 10 teams in the country on the road. Let's throw everybody in the fire. Even if we win or lose, it really doesn't matter because it's not about just this game. It's about the long term of the season where us, we want to go ahead and play for that ACC championship game. Um, so they want to figure that out early on against Texas A&M and then load the box 
as, as they would say against Clemson, because at that point your, your wheels are rolling. You've got everybody in place. You know, your rotations got them down tight and you know who can contribute what, and you want to throw guys in early in the season against a big time opponent that it doesn't really matter in terms of the long-term goal, whether you win or lose that game, but it's more of, okay, let's measure up. Let's pull out the measuring stick. Let's see who's got, who's got it. Who's, who's a hurricane. Who's really got the goods for us. And who, who can we count on long-term, whether it be a young guy or an older guy? Well, I, I think, normally I would agree with you if Texas A&M was the first or second game, but I think they've got enough games, the first two warmups, you know, against essentially Bethune-Cookman and Southern Miss to kind of weed out who they really want in their rotation for that Texas A&M game. And, you know, Kevin Steele has said this when he talks about his defense. He's not just going to play guys to play guys. Like, he wants to win games, and he, 18 to 22 is kind of the number in his head that he's going to be at as far as guys he'd like to get on the field. Now, could you do that against Bethune-Cookman where you play 30 guys on defense? Absolutely. Could you do that probably against Southern Miss? Maybe it's a little less. Maybe it's 25 guys. But I think by Texas A&M, things will be a, be tightened up on that side of the ball. And I think offensively, it's the same thing. I mean, you, you, you're obviously going into a season where you want to take a good look at your receivers early on. You want to see who those deep threats are going to be. Um, that's a position you're going to rotate a ton. I think running back, you'll see four or five guys ultimately get carries there the first couple of games, just so you can see what Javante Citizen can do. You can see what Thaddeus, where Thaddeus Franklin is uh, and where Don Chaney Jr. Is, is in his comeback from, from that knee injury. Um, but I think ultimately come Texas A&M, I, I disagree, Carlos. I think they're going to, they're going to tighten things up and try to win that game. I think, you know, the, the one, the one thing I will say for Mario and this staff is they're not coming in here to, I don't know, just see what they've got. I think they 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 have to know. They have to know. They have to win. They need results. And you don't just sort of sacrifice a game. I understand your point, right? Right. I don't, I don't. To me, it's not about sacrificing a game, and it's not about going in there with the mentality of you know it, you know losing the game to find out what you have. That's not the point. The point is you're not going to get a good look against Bethune Cookman. You're not going to get a good look against Southern Miss. So if you're going to rotate guys within that 18 to 22, like you said on defense. You're going to want to see those 22, maybe expand that to 23, 24 against Texas A&M to see what you really have down the road. So if maybe you could swap some of those guys within that rotation that you're planning down the road and then tighten that from that 22 to maybe 18 that are core guys moving forward that you can count on. Same thing on offense. You could rotate three or four running backs. But if you see that one guy doesn't have the goods against a team like Texas A&M, if you see a receiver that can't get open, can't get off the line of scrimmage, uh, can't handle an assignment in that kind of an environment, then that guy gets eliminated from the rotation. And now you're down to a tighter rotation moving forward from that game on. I think you'll see some of that in the first half, and you'll definitely see the rotation tighten up in the second half. And I think to me, when I say it doesn't matter if you win or lose, from the long-term vision of the goal of getting to the ACC oh, championship, it. it doesn't matter mm -hmm. if you win or lose that game, just like it didn't matter if you lost to Alabama last year in the long-term vision of what that was last year to get to the ACC title game. And I think it's a better measuring stick of what these guys have against Texas A&M than it is Southern Miss or Bethune-Cookman, because, Jesus, maybe you and I can look good against Bethune-Cookman. Probably not. More than likely not, but whatever. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we wouldn't look good against anybody uh, out there, Carlos. We're uh, we're in our 40s now. Listen, I refuse to say that. I think we could look good against Duke, all right? I'm, maybe all right. Duke. Maybe Duke. Um, yeah, so, look, these first couple of days of camp, all I can tell you, the most important storyline is everybody's out there. Outside of Zion Nelson, who, again, you know, he had the surgery. Now it's four weeks ago, not three weeks ago. It's four weeks ago. He said he'd be out six to eight weeks. Um you know, he's going to miss the bulk of camp. He will come back at some point, though, and you will see him essentially move back into that left tackle role. I think, you know, no matter what John Campbell does, no matter what uh, Jalen Rivers looks like, I think Zion, a healthy Zion Nelson fully recovered from a knee scope, 
Okay, it's not like a torn ACL. It's a knee scope. It's taking cartilage out of there. Um, I think he will be your left tackle, and then everything else will sort of shift in place. So, yes, people, they have been playing musical chairs, and I told you guys last week on this podcast that, uh, you know, what Alex Mirabal had told me on media day, which is, you know, you're going to see different guys there. You're going to see Jalen Rivers. You're going to see, um, you know, a Justice all over soon. You're going to see guys sort of move into that role besides John Campbell. So, ultimately, uh, the best five are going to be on the field. They're going to be physical. Um, and and there'll probably be a couple of backups that get into the rotation. I would say right now, if I had to guess, it would probably be Logan Sagapolu and uh, Justice Oluwasun. And and that's because uh, they've been in the system since spring. Um, and, you know, I know Miami picked up Jonathan Dennis from Oregon, but he wasn't here this spring. So to me, he's further behind. So I would say, you know, once once Zion comes back, they'll be fine. Um, to me, one of the interesting fun- things is like, yeah, it's it's I think you've got a pretty good rotation at the, at the tackle and guard spots, especially with a guy like Jalen Rivers that could swing inside and outside. And again, another guy like DJ Scape, they can do the same. I prefer him at guard as opposed to tackle because he's been a disaster at tackle. Um, and John Campbell, who could hold it down at left or right tackle. And then you've got a guy like Sagapolo who can come in and all of a sudden that can back those guys up within those spots. Me, my, my thought process, my concern is who's the backup center, right? If Ja'Kai Clark goes down, Who's going to be that guy that slots in? Because we had that situation last year with Corey Gainer going down. Not that Corey Gainer was doing that great of a job, but he was an experienced guy at center. And thankfully, Ja'Kai Clark was ready to step in and do that stuff. And he had game experience. Now it's, it's a little bit different. There's another, not another guy on the roster that's actually taking snaps at center that could step in there if something happens to Ja'Kai Clark or well, if he's ineffective. Well, I will <clears> tell <throat> you, and I can look up the notes here uh, from, our, from my conversation. At some point, I'm going to write this in The Athletic, but um, Maribel essentially said he's got about four or five different guys that can play center. Jalen Rivers has actually taken snaps at center. Um, obviously, Sagapolo has taken snaps at center. Um, who else? DJ Scaife has taken snaps at center. He he doesn't go into a season without four or five guys that he feels confident can, can play the center position because of how important it is to be able to call out where the pass rush is coming from, the blitzers, etc., who's picking up who, directing traffic. So, in this cross training that they do, there have been guys that have have stepped into that center role and taken snaps there. Now, are they going to spend all of camp doing that? No, that's what the offseason is for. When you're in camp, you're already, I mean, listen, we're less than a month away from the start of the season. Uh, they're looking at guys at specific spots, you know, as far as who would be option B, option, you know, C right away, you know, like as soon as as soon as somebody goes down. So I think there is sort of a locking in place, but we're not privy to seeing it. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that, um, you know, watching guys do some combo blocking drills <laughs> is going to tell you or, or seeing guys where they line up when they're going through drills with the media still on the field uh, where, where it's base stuff where it's it's not even like you know anything serious where anybody's hitting you can't really deduce what's going on there so i can just tell you what alex mirabal said and you know in the end the five best guys are going to be on the field i still believe that come texas a&m which is the most important game of the season in the early going zion nelson will be your left tackle Jalen rivers will be your left guard chakai clark will be your center your right guard will be dj scaife and john campbell will be your right tackle that's just my opinion. That's what I think can end up happening. So, uh, and you can see all that at the athletic on my, uh, you know, camp camp preview where I've got every sort of position breakdown. Um, we're going to get to a mailbag. We got about six questions that I, that I allocated, but I wanted to ask you about the locker rooms. 
uh, Carlos, the temporary $7 million locker rooms that Rudy Fernandez told me about uh, way back in, in March, April. Uh, you know, in the end, Miami's going to be spending over well over $100 million to build this new football home in the next three to four years. You know, it's going to have a full-sized indoor practice facility. It's going to have unbelievable, you know, state-of-the-art weight room and locker rooms and all that. But I did share a video clips of, of what the kids were say, putting out on Instagram. I kind of cut one up uh, and shared it on my Instagram account of um, Corey Flagg sitting at his locker and a few of the other guys. What did you uh, what did you think of the uh, the temporary Canes locker rooms? I mean, as far as temporary things go, that's fantastic. But I mean, even still, I think it's on par with a lot of those locker tours that you see on YouTube that I've watched on YouTube. Um, you know, the, the setup is beautiful. Obviously, they they went all out and they went to, with a really nice setup, but I'm pretty sure they held back some of the stuff that they want to put into the new facilities you said, because this is only going to be a temporary setup. They did it nice enough for them to be happy with it, to be able to show it off to recruits, because that's really what it's all about. They wanted to have some sort of a tool to show recruits that, listen, this is the, the, type, of, the type of stuff you're going to be using, the facilities you're going to have when you come here, and eventually it's going to be even better than this, uh, to put that image in their brain and show them that we are serious about it. Not only are we serious about putting resources into this program, we're so serious about it that we're going to build something at $7 million and immediately tear it down in a couple of years. That's how serious we are about spending money, my friend. Right. We don't play around. This is the most, this is actually the most Miami thing they could have done. Like in terms of the Miami, the city and the culture is, yeah, let's spend $7 million. Now get rid of it. Yeah. I mean, and, and Rudy told me, you know, this is the way the big boys operate. You have to, you know, be ready to refresh what you have. And, um, you know, you don't just sort of settle in and say, well, we built this. We just spent $100 million five years ago to build this. No, you, you're yeah. constantly sort of upgrading. You're constantly sort of keeping up with the Joneses. Um, because when these kids come to your campus, the best players in the world, uh, you know, best high school players that want to come play for you um, or Alabama or somebody else, you have to be able to, to show them something that is just as high uh, you know, level as, as what those guys have. And so, and I think it looks like it, I think it absolutely does. And I think it's right on par with that kind of stuff. Um, and I, I can't wait for the final product when they, they build that, that hundred million dollar facility and see what it all ends up looking like, but it's great that these kids finally get to experience something like that at that level. And it's going to help the program tremendously in the short term in terms of recruiting and showing, listen, we, we are going to spend, and it's not just, you know, us talking about it, look at us out here, what we're doing to me. The other interesting thing is I would love to see what their plans are for the locker room and, at a hard rock. Are they going to go in there and put something similar in there? Um, so they can also feel like they're still at home, right? Like they have their own facility there at hard rock that they can show off and say, yeah, we're in an NFL stadium. This is a dolphin stadium, but we have our own section here that looks just like what we have at our practice facility, or maybe even better. Look at this. This is where we get ready to play games. Uh, and it's high class top, top of the notch, just like the NFL team across the way, we can show you their stuff and it looks just like ours. Maybe ours is even better. Well, here's what I'll tell you about that. Um, first of all, the stadium is owned by the Dolphins, so it's up to the Dolphins to decide, you know, if they're going to allow something like that. I would assume Miami would want to upgrade what they have, but I haven't heard any complaints from the players over the years that Miami's been playing at Hard Rock Stadium that the locker rooms are insufficient or it's not as nice as Alabama. Look, the bottom line is you're a renter. That's not your your stadium, right? You're, you're, you're re relying on the Dolphins. I will say all so of it wouldn't be, but I'll say this, it wouldn't be the first time that a college program and an NFL team uh, where an NFL team allows a college program to use a facility, have partner and allow that college team to make that their section of the locker room, their own. Because if you right. watch the uh, Oakland Raiders, I mean, the now Vegas Raiders, their stadium at Legion stadium, they allowed UNLV to do that in mm -hmm. their section of the locker room. So it's not uncommon. So it's something that the Dolphins and the, and the Hurricanes may want to approach. 
uh, and say, listen, obviously, if the, it's not about the locker rooms being insufficient. That's not the point. I'm right. sure they're great. They're good enough for them to get ready and be able to play on the field. The point is that you want it to match what you have in your practice Absolutely. facility. Because at the end of the day, where these guys are going to go play at Alabama and all these other places, that's one and the same. That's right. where they get ready for games and practice. So you want that to be sort of like that bridge between the campus and the stadium. So it feels like it's part of your program, not just like you're a renter, like you said. Yeah. And, and look, uh, I think eventually those are things that, that the Hurricanes are going to push for. But I know right now the priority from talking to Rudy Fernandez, uh, you know, who's, who's obviously the right hand man of school president, uh, Julio Frank. I know the priority is. We, we've got to upgrade what we have here on campus first. So I'll ask them, though, what, what the plans are maybe with the Dolphins to, to upgrade uh, the situation there. Um, all right. Bruce Feldman uh, came out with his freaks list today. Do you, do you enjoy reading uh, Feldman's freak list every single year? I mean, they've got, oh, I just clicked on a video of uh, Mozzie Smith from Michigan by accident. Um, I'm, I'm flipping through his article here, the top 100 football freaks in college football. And every year I'm blown away by the guys. Uh, on this list, no hurricanes in the top 100. And and I've talked to Bruce about this in the past. He relies on, you know, the strength and conditioning coaches to uh, educate him and tell him, hey, these are guys that, uh, you know, are, are, are deserving of being on here. And sometimes, you know, he doesn't get that information necessarily from every school that he reaches out to. So I don't know if Miami got all the info they wanted to him, but um, there is a former hurricane on there and I'm sure you don't even remember him. Carlos. He's number four on the list. That would be DJ Johnson from Oregon, who transferred to Oregon. Mario got him to transfer uh, back there. He's a California kid. One, was a top defensive end, right? Defensive end, top 100 yeah. player. Don't uh, play with me, Manny. Don't yes. remember him. Don't play with me, Manny. Hey, I, you're, you're all about that life, baby. He, he, is he from Sacramento? He is from Sacramento. See, Manny, don't play with me, Manny. You, you're on it, dog. Don't play with you're me, on man. it. Uh, he only played 152 snaps on defense. <clears throat> um, was playing tight end over there for him, but these are some numbers, some jaw dropping numbers, as uh, as my boy Bruce Feldman writes. Uh, he's 6'4", 275. He uh, ran uh, 22.88 miles per hour on the GPS, and he's a 455-pound bench press, 655-pound uh, sumo deadlifter. So there you go. Sumo deadlifter. So that's when they deadlift in the diapers. In the diapers. Correct. That's what that's like the sumo wrestlers. Correct. That's what they uh, that's what they do. So DJ Johnson is a top uh, four player on Bruce's list is your former hurricane. No hurricanes, but a former hurricane on there. Actually, a couple of Oregon players on there. So, you know, Mario can certainly recruit freaks. Now, I will say the more important thing is who should Miami be afraid of? Right. Because there's some guys on their schedule this year that are tough. Three Clemson defensive players. You want me to read you the bios here? Go right ahead. Miles Murphy, defensive end. Okay. Last year, 14 tackles for loss, 6'5", 275 pounds, um, bench presses 405 pounds, power cleans 335, and deadlifts 505. He's got a vertical of 35 inches, and he ran a 4'5 in the 40. And you're talking about a man that is 6'5", 275, running a 4'5 in the 40. Now, of, of all those numbers, what, what is the one that impresses you the most? Is it the 4'5"? Yes, the 4'5". How do you move that fast? That's a receiver type speed. Yeah. My, my thing, my, the most impressive number that you read off there to me is a 335 power clean. Have you ever tried power cleaning? No. I mean, that when you say power cleaning, I think of, of having that high powered. The pressure washer? The pressure washer. That's my power cleaning. Yeah. No, 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 no. That's, that's what I do too. That's the only power. I, I power clean 10 pounds. 
uh, if mm-hmm. that's the case. But um, no, power cleaning is where you snatch it and you catch it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is incredible because you not only have to lift the weight, you got to flip it and then have enough wrist strength to be able to bend that bar back in your wrist like this and catch it and have that lower body and upper body strength at the same time. It's impressive that, impressive that a D lineman can run a four or five, but remember their thing is really more short burst, quick contact. So for me, that power clean number, that strength in the lower and upper body working together to lift through somebody and get them in shed, that to me is more impressive. And, and, and also knowing how hard a power clean is. Um, he's not the only defensive lineman Miami faces in the top 10. We talk about the offensive line, right, and how good they are. They're going to be challenged this year. There's some good defensive linemen that are about to take imagine. on Imagine. I know there's, there's probably some A&M guys on there. Oh, th- there's none in the top 100, but A&M had the number one class in the country. They signed eight of the best defensive linemen in the country. Now, the thing is, they're all babies. They're all freshmen. This guy's not a baby, and he's not a freshman. Kalijah Kansi out of Pitt. He was all ACC last year. Okay. He's undersized. Six feet, 282 pounds out of Miami locally. So this is one of those kids that got away, right? Because Miami maybe didn't recruit him that hard. Um, but Charlie Partridge, hell of a recruiter, knows how to produce defense alignment. Um, anyway, Kansi earned first team all ACC honors, 13 tackles for loss and seven sacks last year. Um, reminds Pat Narduzzi of Aaron Donald. Kansi uh, has been clocked running a 4.69 in the 40. And he's got a vertical jump of 31 and a half inches, bench pressing 425 pounds. That's a lot for probably a long-armed defensive lineman. Yeah. Yeah, that's impressive. Uh, who else do we have on this list? Let me scroll through here. Brian Breezy, who was the number one recruit, if I'm not mistaken, in, in, in recruiting not too long ago. Another Clemson defensive lineman. 6'5", 310. Uh Former five-star recruiters I mentioned, third-team All-ACC last year with uh, three tackles for loss, um, was limited, was hurt. Uh, Breezy benched 435 pounds, power clean 330, deadlifted 585, vertical jump of 30 inches, and he ran a 4.7 in the 40. It's 300 pounds. He's running a 4.7. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. But again, another 330-pound power cleaner. That dude is strong. And 585 in the deadlift, whew. Now, some of these, the thing about these freaks, though, is it's good that some of these guys are reading off. They're not only strong and athletically, freakishly athletic, but they've produced some, right? Um, Because normally, a lot of these guys, what you'll have is like an old saying that my friend used to tell me, a a former football coach, um, looks like Tarzan, plays like Jane. You get a lot of that. You get a lot of that. Good guys that look great in the pads, boy. You want that dude to be the first one off the bus, scare the other team, have everybody shaking in their boots, and then keep him on the sideline because he sucks. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Georgia Tech has somebody on this list. Georgia Tech's a bad football team. Um, but they've got one kid who's on here, Keon White, a defensive lineman. Uh, was very like good. Like a 6'6 six, six guy? Very good at Old Dominion, yes, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he was only 265 pounds. I think he had an ankle injury, didn't play. Six, he's 6'4", 290. Okay. Uh, ran 21 miles an hour. Uh, has a vertical of 32 inches and did 38 reps. 38 reps of the NFL standard 225 pounds on the bench press. 
38 reps. What were his, what were his, his tackle numbers and his TFL numbers? He was hurt the last couple of seasons. He was hurt the last couple of seasons. Yeah. Okay. He might be another one of those uh, looks like Tarzan plays like Jane. <laughs> he can't, can't stay on the field. He could. Um, who else do we have on here um, on, on Miami's schedule? Uh, Trenton Simpson, a linebacker. All right. He's 6'3", 240. He's from Clemson. Uh, only 6% body fat. He's 6'3", 240 with 6% body fat, ranked third on the team with 78 tackles, finished second in tackles for loss 12 and sacks six. Bench presses 375 pounds, power cleans 355 and has a vertical of 35 inches. He did a 10-2 on the broad jump. More impressively, they say he's run the 40 in the high four threes. 6'3", 240-pound linebacker, high four threes in the 40. Yeah, that's insane. And and what the strength numbers, like you said, is with the power clean uh, and the deadlift on top of that four three, that, that broad jump. That that means he's explosive. And now, I, I'm look. I don't want to sell the Miami guy short. <clears throat> we shared last week on the podcast and and in stories <clears throat> some of the improvements Miami's made. And who knows if the Hurricanes have several guys that should be on this list that maybe they're they're you know I got to ask Bruce did he end up talking to anybody at Miami? Did he talk to Aaron Feld? Did Aaron Feld share any information? Maybe he didn't. But it's obvious that, you know, there's some really good athletic freaks, you know, and there always are on Miami's schedule. But Clemson, three in the front seven is pretty freaking impressive. And those are guys that are all in the top 30 here on Bruce's list. Now, I'm going to try to find Texas A&M's guys because I saw it when I was skimming through it earlier that they had, I think, an offensive lineman and a running back. Let's see if I find both of those guys here as I'm, as I'm sifting through. Uh, this is terrible podcast right now as I'm, as I'm keeping everybody here with bated breath. <laughs> there are two Texas A&M guys, and I just can't find them as I'm sifting through here. Let me go back. I think they may have been in the top 50, and I, and I may have just overlooked it as I was blowing past this. Um, well, to me, and, and the impressive thing, like you said, um, the Clemson guys are in the front seven. They're on the defensive side of the ball. And that's definitely not where they had their issues last year. All their issues were on the offensive side of the ball. Clemson's defense was still very impressive last year. They were still on par with those, those uh, solid Clemson teams of the past. Um, and they may be more improved this year uh, than they were last year. So we'll see what happens. All right. I found Texas A&M offensive lineman Bryce Foster. Okay. Uh, back in high school, he could bench press more than 400 pounds. He's 6'5", 325 pounds now. He's a sophomore, uh, an elite shot putter. Um, Let's see what else. Uh, last year, Foster started all 12 games for the Aggies as a true freshman and made the conference all-freshman team. So there you go. He's an elite shot putter, and he's 6'5", 325 pounds, bench presses over 400. So there you go. Miami's going to have a nasty, nasty, probably interior lineman to have to deal with at Texas A&M, who's a, who's a freak. And I want to find the running back because I, I saw, I looked at some of his stuff earlier. And I don't know. Here it is. He's a running back slash kick returner. Devon Achain, A-C-H-A-N-E, the last name. Devon Achain. Um, arguably the fastest man in college football. 5'9", <laughs> 185-pound junior. He's run a 10.02 personal best in the 100. Uh, it was wind-aided. He's also run a 10.14 in the 100. That was legal. Uh, it ranks as the 10th fastest time in Texas A&M history. He's also clocked at 2020 in the 200 meters. He showed off that speed when he took a kickoff back 96 yards midway through the third quarter in a win over Alabama last year. 
the 20 year old was also second on the team in rushing with 910 yards. He averaged seven yards a carry. He also caught 24 passes for 261 yards and a touchdown. Yeah, kick and fly. I mean, honestly, I've, joke. Yet to, I've yet to break down Texas AM's roster, but this this guy, I mean, he's little, but he sounds like a freak. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he sounds like a rocket, to be quite honest with you. And, you know, we're going to obviously talk about, you know, some of the bigger games as the season gets closer here and, and break down opponents. I'm going to have some guys come on and, and talk about Texas A&M and Clemson. And, um, you know, we'll do all that kind of stuff. But listen, if you want a good read, subscribe to The Athletic. Uh, click on Bruce's Freaks list. It's always a fun read. You can always find out who who in college football is really uh, special when it comes to, you know, those attributes and those special gifts. So. Um, all right. A couple more things I wanted to touch on before we wrap up and, and get to the mailbag here, Carlos. Um, there is a new NIL group for Miami. OK, they call themselves Kane's Connection. A couple of business executives um, have basically started it. Zach Bird, Brian Goldmeyer, um, you know, fundraising professionals, over 30 years of experience, uh, 500 million dollars raising funds in their careers. And they're basically partnering. Um, with Shadow Lion and, you know, Shadow Lion creates a bunch of sports content, basically help players sell this and make money. Their their idea is to raise $10 million on their own, which would basically match what John Ruiz, uh, the local billionaire businessman, is pouring into Miami. So you talk about $20 million in NIL to work with uh, for the Hurricanes. And that, I think, is going to be pivotally important uh, when we talk about the growth of this program going forward, because let's face it. Guy like John Campbell, right? Um, talented offensive lineman. He's a kid who thinks he can be a left tackle in the NFL. This year, he's not going to be the left tackle unless Zion Nelson misses significant time. I think he's the kind of guy with two years of eligibility left that if you're Miami, right, you want to get that guy paid to stick around and come back for one more year coming off of the knee injury he had. So that's sort of the perfect example of somebody that you know, an NIL organization like Kane's Connection, I think, could help. And and you're going to have other guys like that as well um, that, that are going to be really good third or fourth year players with a year left of eligibility that, you know, do they go in as a fourth or fifth round pick to just make that NFL money or do they come back for that extra year? So uh, it's good news for Miami that you've got now a, a collective known as the Kane's Connection uh, that's going to be working to to try to make things uh, even better for Miami in the NL, NIL front. Yeah, not only that, but you want to have multiple sources of NIL money coming in because you don't want it to be just all tied to one guy like John Reese. Yeah, it's great. It's going well for him. You know, and, you know, God bless him. Hopefully it continues to be that way, but who knows what happens down the road, right? You don't want to be tied just to one guy and then have that ship come crashing down, hit the, hit the iceberg and it sink like the Titanic and you got nothing left. So you want to have, other sources of money flowing in to the NIL pool to have that ability to not only, you know, not just count on one guy, but have more diverse sources that you could allocate. Right. So you just, you could maybe allocate one of those sources specifically um, <clears throat> for players that are already on the roster, whereas, you know, incoming freshmen can have another allocation and things of that nature. So you could spread that money out a little bit better, maybe pay some of the top tier guys a little bit more than you would be able to with just one source of income coming in or NIL money coming in. And really, it just helps the program overall if you're able to bring in additional sources for that NIL and grow those coffers to be able to be able to be more versatile in how you handle that money. Yeah. And again, this is an important factor in college football today. I didn't necessarily think all along that it would become this big of a deal because I thought, well, people are still going to be paying people under the table. 
what does it matter, right? If you can't influence recruits, it's obviously influencing recruits. Recruits are, uh, you know, partnering up with these NIL companies. And as soon as their high school eligibility is done with, they're going to sign those deals and try to get themselves paid. So um, I think it's also a bigger benefit to the guys who were the bag men in the past who were giving the money under the table to do this through NIL because now they get a tax write off. Correct. Uh, So obviously uh, good news for Miami. We'll see if they can get to their $10 million goal. Uh, for NIL, but uh, if you have 20 million in total between Ruiz and those guys, I mean, I've I've had somebody sort of estimate how much it would cost really to maintain an elite team, and I heard it was closer to 30 million. But hell, 20 million is a lot of money. That's a lot of money for these kids, and and uh, I think if if you can keep them happy, uh, for the most part, th- some of these kids are going to decide to come back to school. You will see less people jumping to the, to the NFL because of this, and I think you will see Miami. Be in, remain in the game for a lot of these uh, elite recruits. Uh, I want to do a segment later on in, in, in this podcast. Hopefully I end up getting him uh, with Andrew Ferrelli talking a little recruiting. I caught up with Hakeem Williams, a five-star wide receiver out of Stranahan. I talked to four-star defensive lineman Ruben Bain at a high school media day this past weekend. I'm doing stories on them. I think the Williams story has already come out on the athletic.com, but um, you know, Miami's looking for that elite receiver. They still don't have him committed in this class. And I don't think Hakeem Williams is going to go to Miami. I know Miami's one of the six finalists, but I personally think it's a Pitt, FSU, or Texas A&M sort of battle uh, for him. Uh, Pitt and FSU have you know two position coaches that he's, that he's really close with. FSU has a former teammate of his, it's Tranahan. And then Texas A&M is Texas A&M, right? They had the number one class in the country last year for a reason. So, um, But I do think Miami has a really good chance to get Reuben Bain. I'd say Alabama is his biggest competition. Anyway, I'll talk about that with Andrew in another segment here um, on YouTube and eventually in the podcast, in the Wide Ride podcast. We're, we're going to try to get together tomorrow morning uh, at some point to record that. Um, but let's dig into these mailbag questions, Carlos. Um, this is the first one. Uh, biggest surprises of camp so far. This is from BC Mantia. I think it's Brandon uh, on Twitter. BC Mantia, thanks for sending your question in. Um I'm going to say this. Uh, the biggest surprise of camp so far is that everybody's healthy. I really thought there were going to be more injuries. I thought, you know, we were going to go out there and we we're going to see a bunch of guys standing on the sidelines that not participating uh, so far. So good. Knock on wood. Right. If you're a Miami fan, uh, I think to me, that's the biggest surprise. And I think that's the credit to the the strength and conditioning program, that fourth quarter program and how they've handled player recovery. I think, uh, one of the interesting things that I read, I think it was when you're in your article in the athletic that they talked about that was cool zones mm-hmm. <clears throat> where the players are coming off the field and they have these things that get to 18 degrees so they can sit in them and right. bring their core body temperature down immediately within a few minutes. Um, and Mario didn't want to discuss. <laughs> We're going to detail because he said it would be boring uh, to explain how those things work in the recovery process. But it's obviously scientifically proven. And that's why he has it out there. And as he said, he's going to use every single opportunity and every tool that he can to try and gain an edge. If that means that as you come off the field, he's aiding your body recovering uh, by giving you that cold blast, which a lot of people use in, in their private life. Uh, if you, There's a lot of guys that, that are sort of self-help gurus and things of that nature who use cold tubs, uh, where they'll use that technique of jumping in water that's 30 degrees or less, uh, bouncing in and out of that, and then going to a sauna to help their body recover and reduce inflammation. So I think that's one of the reasons why they use that as well. Um, <clears throat> it's just interesting to see Mario, that to me is one of the surprises using those little things that you wouldn't normally think of um, as, a, as an advantage, as a tool that will help the team long term stay healthy uh, and, and grow. And I think the other thing that was, was a nice surprise was hearing Aaron Feld speak and talk about his philosophy in terms of how he builds the 
players' bodies and gets them ready to play. And I loved his answer about Sakapolo's 700-pound squad. He said, I mean, okay, what is the number that a player needs to be at in terms of their squad or their bench or whatever to be a highly effective football player? And nobody knows because it doesn't exist. So it's not about that. It's about building the best football player we can through functional strength and the things we do um, and not specific numbers that they don't chase maxes. They chase performance, essentially, is what he's saying, which right. is great to see. The other thing I'm, I'm, I'm surprised about is uh, Sakapolo, as you said, being the most limber of the guys out there in the stretch. <laughs> Hey, he was he was moving pretty good for me. Um, all right, number two is John Campbell looking good enough that he ends up starting somewhere on the offensive line after Zion comes back. This is from Lucini Yo on Twitter. Uh, yes, I think without question. I think if you just listen to Mario Cristobal talk him up, saying he's going to be one of the best players in the ACC this year and maybe the country. Uh, that doesn't sound like a guy who's going to the bench to me. I think that sounds like a guy who's um, supposed to be starting at, at one of those tackle positions. And if not, you kick him inside the guard and you have him out there. He's super athletic. Again, we've talked about John Campbell a lot on this podcast just the last couple of days. Um, and, and I and I can tell you that uh, it's it's not just Mario that felt that way about him. I mean, uh, Garrett Justice, the former offensive line coach, felt the same exact way about him. I think without question, he's a starter. Yeah, and as you said, it's going to be the best five to play. And I think John Campbell, probably based on everything we're hearing, is one of those top five guys, especially as high as Mario's been on him. As you said, guys, in the past, he's just had um, some unfortunate instances with injury, uh, especially last year. So I, I don't think it's it's even a question. I think he's going to be that right tackle once Zion comes back. Now the question is where the other guys bump around. But I think it ends up being like what you said. I think Jalen Rivers at left guard, Ja'Kai at center, uh, DJ Scaife at right guard, and John Campbell at right tackle. And probably the only guys that will get moved around are somebody in the interior because I think those tackle spots are, are pretty solid. And I think Jalen Rivers is going to be great at left guard. Yeah, I think I think the offensive line is going to be very good. All right, should we still be concerned about linebackers or are they good enough with the recent additions? This is from Ariel Marin, 38, on Twitter. Um, Ariel, I, I don't think, you know, I was worried about linebacker because – I kept picturing it in last year's scheme, right? Where they're shooting the gaps. Uh, they're being aggressive, trying to make tackles for loss and then exposing the secondary to a lot of tough one-on-one -on -one situations. That's not the scheme that Kevin Steele is going to play here. I think, you know, as, as you and I talked about, I think on the last, last podcast, Carlos, uh, they're okay with giving up a two yard run or a three yard run. They're not going to be hunting for TFLs every single play. Like, like, uh, uh, Manny Diaz's defense has, you know, for, for a few years now. I think they're all about uh, creating that those third down situations and getting off the field. And, um, I, you know, are they good enough? Are they as talented? I think Wesley Besaint and Chase Smith eventually are those guys that are going to be good enough, that are going to remind you of what Miami linebackers are supposed to look like. But I think Caleb Johnson, I mean, they, they were bragging about how fast he looks out there. Uh, some of his teammates were saying he's super fast getting to the ball. Um, you know, he just has to learn the defense. He just came in from UCLA. He wasn't around in the spring. So um, I think it's it's a work in progress, but I expect them to be better. I, I also think they're going to be really, really good starting in 2023 when they get some of the kids that they've got committed. Well, I think the, the, the good news here is the bar is very low because they were so <laughs> terrible last year. So, yeah, they're right. going to be better. I think it's pretty obvious they're going to be better. They can't be any worse uh, than they were last year. But I think it's not going to be – I don't think – I don't consider it a position of strength on the team. I think it's still a question mark. I think until they do it on the field, until they show us what they have, um, and I think until they settle on who those two guys in the, in the middle are going to be long-term, although they're going to rotate who those guys are going to count on first and foremost are going to be, um, then we're not going to know, really. And I think, uh, to me, 
just adding a guy like Caleb Johnson helps a lot because he needed more athleticism at that position, as we saw last year. Um, you know, Corey Flagg had a nose for the ball, had a, had was had good instincts to go to where the play was going, but he just didn't have the athleticism to close and finish plays a lot of times, and, and would get beaten pass coverage a lot. Um, <clears throat> and had uh, a hard time even chasing quarterbacks down around the edge. So I think having Caleb Johnson there will help a lot. And I think you just need a guy that plays next to him that's just as athletic and can meet the ball and knows where to go and understands the defense. If you have that, then I think they'll be solid. And I think the improvement on the, the defensive line as a whole, although the pass rush may not be as great as it was last year individually, I think as a collective, that defensive line is going to be better than last year. No, I think the front, I think the front four, I mean, that's, that's where you have a ton of depth and uh, I think they're much, much uh, improved. Um, all right. This is number four. Uh, what's the role on game days for Jason Taylor, Demarcus Van Dyke, Ed Reed? Do you think they'll be on the sidelines? What's the actual rule on that? This is from KY Kane 23, which I would assume is for Kentucky Kane. Um, good question. I don't have an answer for you as far as what the rules are, because they have constantly, it feels like they're in flux all the time, right? Like Jason Taylor wasn't supposed to be on the field at practice based on the way that the, the rules were written before. Now he's on the field in practice. Demarcus Van Dyke, uh, he's been on the field for practices. Ed Reed, he's been on the field. He was out there for the first time uh, on Tuesday. I shot some video of him, and, and you see him out there talking, hanging out with the DBs. I don't know what the rules are exactly. I have to get updated on that. Uh, bad report. I imagine, I imagine if they could be on the field for practice, they could be on the sideline for games. Right, it, it, but – Will they have a headset on? How much can they be involved in the actual coaching? I don't know the specifics of all. Yeah, that. I don't think I, they can have a headset on. I, I think that's only for actual position coaches and coaches that can actually have the headset on. Analysts uh, and consultants aren't allowed to, to have headsets, I believe. Well, I think analysts are. I just don't think they're allowed to coach. In other words, uh, they can't they can't physically be on the field coaching. Anyway, we will try to get an answer for you, KYK23. Uh, I, before camp is over, if I can get Mario at some point to answer that question, uh, to provide a little clarity of how all of that works and what the rules are. And all I'm right. hoping that's Kentucky and not something else. Right. KY. Uh, Mr. KY, right. Uh, number five, do you believe a season shy of expectations handicaps this upcoming class or future recruiting classes? Or do you believe in spite of the record, Mario and company can still stack talent to progress and remain on par with the collective timetable this is from matt jg 1987 on twitter matt um good question hard question to answer i think when it comes to elite recruits you're in danger no matter what of losing them even if you you know go 12 and 1 and and or you know whatever 13 and 2 uh like if, if you have a great season if you're miami odds are you're, you're going to keep the majority of those recruits. But I think even if Miami wins 10 games this year and gets to the ACC title game, um, the best of the best players in the country can always be flipped. You know, you have Alabama, you, you, you've got Georgia, you've got teams that are going to be playing for championships this year um, who have NILs. And so, you know, I, I, I don't know how much record ultimately will, will factor into this because I think Miami's going to have a good season. I think they're going to win nine or 10 games and get to the ACC title game. And I think if they do that uh, and they don't fall short of that, then I think they'll keep the majority, if not everybody, that they have committed. Because a lot of these kids are signing with Miami, not only for NIL, but also because they believe in Cristobal and they know he's got a 10-year contract and they they want to come and live in Miami. And so they're picking the school for a lot of other reasons besides winning. Um, now, if Miami goes out and wins seven games again, yes, they're definitely going to lose people, right? Because those guys are going to be easily flipped to go elsewhere. But I guess my overriding point is, 
Um, just because you have a good season doesn't guarantee you're going to hang on to those recruits because especially the elite ones, um, I'm talking top 100 in the country um, because they can always be flipped and, and who knows, you know, coaching changes, guys leaving, all those things always play a factor. I think if it's a, like you said, if it's a disappointing season, I think guys are going to leave. Um, I think you would even see coaches jump ship and go somewhere else because it, it, at that point, um, the coaches on the staff don't want to be associated with the stink of a disappointing season. And they want to try and leverage whatever they, they can to get out and go somewhere else and, and, and get away from the sinking ship. And at the same time, the main point is, you know, we've had hype in the past. We've had many, you know, uh, many days come in in the boat, um, say this is a new Miami, do the wrestling moves in the ring and all that kind of stuff to hype people up. Uh, we've had Al Golden with the whole, are you kidding me? This is Miami. Are you kidding me? Uh, quote at the podium. We've won the press conferences so many times. We've won the offseason so many times. Uh, we have more offseason and press conference championships than we do actual national championships, but it's resulted in nothing but mediocrity for the last 20 years. So the point here is if Mario <clears throat> comes in with all these plans and all this hype and all this talk and all these bells and whistles, but produces another, lays another egg, then what's the difference? Then, then what is the point of coming here? If you, with all these resources, all these transfers, this coaching staff that is like none other in college football probably right now, and you lay an egg and you go seven and five, then what's the point? Then you're no different than Manny Diaz. So it needs to be a season where you can clearly see the distinction between what the program was, where it is, and where it's going. Because if you can't sell that vision that you're telling recruits it's going to be, right, you're painting this picture for them. And if you can in this first season at least – throw on the broad brush strokes on that canvas to show them where it's going, then you're the same as everybody else that came before you. And there's no difference. You could be, you know, all the, all the hype. You can say all the right things. You could be the guy that gets up at four in the morning and was relentlessly recruiting. But if you're, you're basically laying eggs on the field and you're no different than the guy that was pulling in on the boat into the wharf uh, and, and tackling dummies in a, in a fake wrestling ring. Right. So, and there needs to be production. I think this team needs to be at least nine and three, be playing for the ACC title game. And, you know, beyond that, it's also how it looks on the field. You could end up being 10 and two and look shitty and your wins. And then it's be like, hey, what's going on here? You could get destroyed by AM, You could be destroyed by Clemson, get to the title game and get destroyed by Clemson a third time, possibly lose a bowl game. And at that point, it's like, are they really progressing? Or was this all smoke and mirrors because the ACC sucked this year? All great points, Carlos. I'm, I can't argue. Um, all right. Number six, which of Cristobal's coaching shortcomings concerned you the most going into the season? Stubbornness? clock management, et cetera. This is from Jason, Real Hip Hop. Um, well, if Coach Cristobal is listening, he has no shortcomings, right? I mean, we're not going to talk about any shortcomings here. That's not what we do. Uh, if he's not listening, which he probably isn't, uh, I, I would say the only thing I have heard consistently as, as far as a criticism of Cristobal is that at times he can be a little stubborn as far as wanting to take control of the game plan, the offensive game plan, right? He wants to pound the ball, wants to be ball control, et cetera. I think he's probably heard that criticism and he hired a really good staff. You know, Josh Gaddis was the Royals award winner. He's supposed to trust him. And I think he runs an offense very similar to what Cristobal wants anyway. So I, I think, you know, you talk about which ones concern me the most. I would say that's it. A coach that doesn't let his, his guys do their thing. That's always that's always a concern. Um, but other than that, I, I you know, clock management. I think that's that's something that 
you know, you have, you have guys that do those things with you that help you with that. Right. That, that remind you how many timeouts you got left. Hey coach, this is, this is how much time is left on the clock. Like, obviously he's going to be doing that as well, but I just think the bigger sort of quote unquote shortcoming or concern would be his stubbornness um, of those two. And I think aside from, you know, the, the ability to develop players better, help with the game plan and all that stuff. The fact that he's hired this kind of a coaching staff with experience um, and that has produced at a high level at different places is important because then you're, they're more likely to push back on him because of their experience level and their production. They can say, look at what I've done in the past. I'm not just some kid that you hired, some guy that you gave the job to who's coming up as a quarterback's coach and is a first OC job. I'm Josh Gaddis. I'm a Rose Award winner. I've been around the block. I coached for a guy that coached in the NFL. You know, I've got some cachet that I can push back on you and say, no, this is the way we're going to do it because this is how it's worked. And he can uh, he can trust that, right? There's always going to be some level of needing to build that trust over the course of the season, but <clears throat> they're more likely to push back on him you know, Josh Gaddis, Kevin Steele, Charlie Strong, all these guys that have been there and done it before can push back and give different opinions and create a collective, um, you know, an exchange where they can have a different set of ideas where it's not just Mario's way of the highway, where they can actually sit and hash things out. Maybe it gets a little intense, but at the end of the day, they'll come up with a better plan than just having one voice that everybody adheres to, right? It's not going to be the George Steinberg or anything with the Yankees. It's going to be more of a collective thing where everybody has input into the game plan and has to make a case for what they want and can actually show the results they've had in the past with what they've done. And I think that's important. Not only that, but I think because you have those experienced guys on the staff, the stuff like clock management, uh, you know, in-game situations becomes easier to deal with because you've got these guys that have done it before different places. So you could come up with a better game plan as a whole, as opposed to just relying on Mario to do that himself. All right. Good answer, Carlos. Uh, there were a couple more that came in, and I don't want to ignore them since we have a little bit of time here. I got some time, man. Do it. Um, this is from Kane's fan Duke on Twitter. What position group has stood out thus far during the first few practices, which has been the most lackluster? Well, again, I, I go back to the top of this conversation, which is what are we really watching stretching and drills? Um, I, I would say this coming off of conversations that I've had with coaches. Okay. About which groups have, have maybe improved the most since the spring and, and look really good in the weight room. Kevin Steele, again, acknowledge that cornerbacks is probably the group that's grown the most. Okay. You think back of the, the breakdowns that Miami had last season in coverage. Uh, you look at to Corey couch's body, the improvement he's made putting on weight. You talk about adding Daryl Porter jr. A guy who was a 12 game starter at West Virginia last year. Um, I would say if you were to just go back and look at, at, at Miami's cornerbacks, you know, at the end of last season to where they've come now in, in a matter of eight to nine months, um, I would say that's probably the group that stood out the most. Now, from the practices, I couldn't tell you. We're not watching the cornerbacks cover anybody. Um, but um, that that would be my response to that. And obviously running back, the fact that there's five guys there that are, that are all really good-looking type runners, um, I would say that for offense. Um, and then the most lackluster – I mean, again, I, it's hard to it's hard to really crap on anybody and say that they've looked lackluster. I would say at times I've seen receivers drop balls in these little drills, like Xavier Strebles dropped a few balls. Um, you know, other guys have have had balls fall off their hands. But again, we're not seeing eleven on eleven. We're not watching seven on seven. So I'm not going to sit here and BS you and tell you somebody's looking lackluster. I would say that's the biggest question mark on the team. 
you know, who, who emerges among the receivers and, and plays consistently. And then linebacker, that'd be the other spot. But you can't answer this based on performance. Yeah, I agree. I think until we see somebody or we hear what happens in that first scrimmage and we get some actual information, I think all that's just, you know, kind of speculation. Correct. And this is the last one. This is from Mr. Kane. That would be C-A-N-E-D, 5150. Um, what player on the team last year has made the biggest improvement to do better? Do to like do D U E do to better coaching this year. Again, another tough question to answer without seeing any, any real um, progress in terms of seven on seven or 11 on 11 work. Um, I would say this physically, the guys that have, have really looked good to me. I thought Leonard Taylor, what he already did in the weight room. Um, I think he's going to, he's going to take off. You're talking about a guy that didn't start, played 200 snaps and led the team with nine and a half tackles for loss. I think he's a starter this year from from Jump Street. I think he's a guy who goes in and and, and probably takes off uh, as far as his career is concerned. And then as far as coaching, I would have to think the linebackers are going to look the best uh, in terms of most improvement because you've got Charlie Strong coaching them. you got a scheme that's that's uh, that's going to get the most out of them. Um, and they were so of, terrible last year that it's got to be them. It's it's it has to be them, right? I mean, I don't know your thoughts other than that. I I, I, I agree, and uh, to me, I'll, I'll pose it a different way. Like, who do I think is going to be a guy that jumps out early on that looks different during games when the bullets start flying? We actually start seeing them perform on the field uh, in real action. I think Jafari Harvey, from everything we've heard from the spring to now, mm-hmm. is going to be one of those guys. Um, I think Mitchell Agude, like you've been saying for a while, is going to be a guy that's going to impress on that defensive line. I'm interested to see what Caleb Johnson does. Uh, I want to see if Tyreek Stevenson takes another step and becomes that leader on the defense. Um, I think he's going to be improved also. Uh, <clears throat> and I think on the offensive side of the ball, um, you know, I think Restrepo is going to be a, a big part of the offense. Um, I want to see if Will Mallory can be consistent and be that tight end that they can rely on like they did at the end of the season, uh, not like it was at the beginning of the season. Um, I think the other thing is I want to see, here's the biggest question mark. Everybody's assuming that Tyler Van Dyke is going to be excellent from day one all the way through. And we forget those rough patches he had against North Carolina, against Virginia, against Florida State, even later on in the season. So teams are going to be preparing differently for Tyler Van Dyke now that they have a season of film on him. They saw what bothered him. They saw what made him play out of, out of sync. So can he deal with that kind of stuff? How is he going to react to how defenses play him now? Can he take his game to a different level and not just be the guy that he was last year? Because I'll tell you what, the guy that he was last year isn't going to be good enough this year because it's going to be different this year. They're going to play him differently. You're going to force him into situations that made him uncomfortable last year and try to put him, like you said, with Kevin Steele last week, make him play left-handed. So that's what teams are going to try to do to him. Um, Can he evolve as a player enough to get around that stuff and go in different directions with the football as opposed to just locking in on one guy or doing what he was doing last year, which is falling in love with the deep ball and just try and hit deep shots. And if he didn't do that, then there really wasn't going much, wasn't much going on. So can he evolve as a player and take that next step as a quarterback? I don't, we, we don't, we're automatically assuming he's going to be a Heisman contender and be this, this great quarterback going forward, which, you know, I, I believe he will be, but to me, it's still an interesting question. Let's see that evolution. Can he take that next step to be, a great quarterback based on how guys are going to play him. Teams are going to play him this year. Yep. I, I mean, that's, that's, that's his challenge this year, right? When, when teams scout him and, and they know him and they take away his strengths, what are they, what is he going to do to counter? Uh, excellent point. Yeah, it's a whole lot different with preparing from, for him with one week of tape 
right. uh, and one week of prep as opposed to a full offseason. Right. Carlos, appreciate it. You did a good job as always. And uh, if you're Subscribe if you're not subscribed to the Athletic, please subscribe to the Athletic. Uh, you can follow uh, this podcast uh, on uh, on a lot of different places. Obviously, here on YouTube where you're watching it, uh, you can download it at the Athletic. You can download it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. You can uh, go to Spotify. It's available everywhere. Go back and listen to some of the previous episodes if you're just tuning in for the first time. Uh, and make sure to follow me on Instagram and YouTube. I, I'm posting videos there from whenever I go to practice. I'll have a feature here soon on uh, Mr. Kane's barber, Stephen Rivera, who, who cuts the care of uh, the hair of m- multiple uh, Hurricanes players as well as the Dolphins. And uh, there'll, there'll be some fun off the field type things as well. Besides uh, and recruiting, I just put out that Hakeem Williams story, Ruben Bain, the four star defensive lineman from Miami Central. A lot of content available for you guys and Andrew Ferrelli as well will be coming on to talk recruiting with me frequently. So, Carlos, thanks again, brother. We'll talk again soon. All right, man. Hey, it also, uh, I dropped that comparison or saying why the 83 yes. National Championship team was yes, thank you for the greatest of all time last week. I'm going to be working on the 87 team this week. Hopefully I can put that episode out by the end of the week, and then we'll be moving on with each champion, giving reasons as to why that team should be considered the greatest of all time on the MIA All Day podcast. Yes, be sure to also subscribe to the MIA All Day pod. Carlos does a great job. And I'm, and uh, this 83 breakdown, I'm, I'm definitely going to listen to it here when I get in the car at some point uh, soon. Carlos, I, that's when I j- throw on all my podcasts so I can listen to it while I'm driving. Um, but I know you're going to do a good job with that piece because you spend a lot of time analyzing and break it down. So make sure to follow Carlos uh, on, on Twitter and on, at the MIA All Day podcast. All right. All right, man. Joined by Andrew Ferrelli, our recruiting insider who uh, works with the South Florida Express, very tapped into the recruiting scene down here, uh, especially when it comes to the Hurricanes. He's a uh, big Miami fan. How you doing, Andrew? I'm doing pretty well, Manny. Thanks for having me on again. How are you, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. Um, listen, I I know that uh, it's been things have sort of quieted down on the recruiting front since camp started. Um, there's not a lot of uh, recruits, uh, you know, conversations sort of happening, and part of that's because they're uh, not a lot on campus as you and I were talking about off air, but I guess I'll ask you first, uh, what's kind of been the most interesting you've heard since we last spoke a week ago? Um, Yeah. I mean, like you said, things have kind of quieted down lately right now. They, they want the, uh, the coaches to focus on, on camp and getting ready for the season. So it's kind of a dead period across the country. Um, it's not really any recruits allowed on campus or anything like that. Um, but we still have seen some, some recent commitments. I think, um, you know, we just saw William Fowles commit, to uh, Louisville, we touched on that last week about how uh, Miami seemed to be kind of passing there, um, and and that's what uh, what seemed like it happened. Uh, so he ended up committing to Louisville, and I think that's a good sign uh, for you. I think uh, it shows that they're still confident in their ability to go out and get a Hakeem Williams or a Jerry and Dickey. Um, that they feel like they're they're very much in the conversation for for some of those guys still. Yeah, you know um, what's interesting. I, I attended the high school media day last Saturday um, that was being put on um, by Football Hotbed and, and Brandon Adoy. Um, he invited me to come over, and Andrew Ivins was there from Two Four Seven. Marcus Benjamin from Rivals. We kind of had our time talking to different guys, and I got a chance to catch up with Hakeem. I just put out, put out an article yesterday um, on it. And you can check it out at, at theAthletic.com. But you know, Hakeem played for the South Florida Express. That's where, where I met him was, was with you guys. And special, obviously a very, very special talent, you know, big, long receiver, exactly what Miami would want. I got the sense from talking to him for about 20 minutes that the Hurricanes are kind of playing catch-up. And I don't know that it's necessarily Miami's fault. I think it's a deal about more about a kid who, who wants to kind of go away to college is the sense that I got, that he's a kid who 
um, you know, fell in love with with traveling, which is kind of the theme of the story is he loves meeting new people. He loves traveling. And, uh, you know, he hasn't really done a lot of that in his life um, until the past year. And, and I think Pittsburgh, uh, Florida State and Texas A&M are probably the three leaders in the clubhouse. That's the way I kind of slanted it. You know, obviously, uh, mm-hmm. Alabama, Georgia and Miami are in it. They're, they're among his six finalists when he announced it um, next month, September 23rd in his school library over there at Fort, Fort Lauderdale, Stranahan. But do you get the same sense too, you know, Andrew, that, that this is a kid who, you know, my, if Miami's going to convince them, they got to do some catching up. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of been the the theme of that recruitment over the past few months is they seemed like they were, you know, really completely out of it for a while. Um, especially once uh, the previous wide receivers coach McClendon left to, to Georgia. Um, it seems like kind of really set Miami back in that recruitment. So they've been playing catch up there for a while. Um, but things can change quickly. I know there's, you know, definitely some people in his corner that that like Miami that, you know, would like him to stay home. Um, but, uh, you know, they're still trying to catch up there. They've got another, you know, six, seven weeks or so to, to continue to close the gap. Um, and I think they're going to do everything they can to, to try to make that happen. Um, but I know Pitt's going to be tough to beat, especially. Uh, he's got a, a great uh, relationship with, with Taekwon Underwood. He used to be the uh, the receivers coach back at, at Rutgers, even got um, Hakeem to come visit at Rutgers when he was there. Uh, so they, they've got a bond that's that's gone back uh, quite a bit. He's, he's close with Hakeem's mother and everything like that, who's playing a big role in that recruitment. Um, so, so Miami's definitely a little bit behind right now. Uh, but I think just the sense that I'm getting is they're going to do uh, whatever it takes to, to try to uh, close that gap over the next six weeks and and definitely uh, make him think about staying home when that decision time comes in late September. Yeah, I think Hakeem, you know, he told me his mom would love for him to stay home uh, because she, you know, she works in the courthouse mm-hmm. over there in, in Fort Lauderdale, would prefer not to have to travel far to go watch him play. But at the same time, too. I think she's also given him his blessing to, to make the best decision for himself. And and so he's sort of operating from from that way. I would say Florida State, surprisingly to me, um, has a good shot as well. And I know you mentioned it, I think, last podcast, his his relationship, obviously, with Omar Graham, who, who signed uh, with Florida State out of uh, Tallahassee. But I also think he's got a good relationship with Ron Dugans. He said, you know, behind Taekwon Underwood, that that's probably the second best relationship he has with the position coach. And all of that matters to him. I think, you know, we all understand NIL is going to play a factor in this as well. Um, but, you know, if everybody's, uh, you know, doing what they have to do to take care of him and his family, right, when he when he gets to college, um, then I think, you know, it could just ultimately come down to relationships. And that's a hard thing to kind of overcome uh, mm-hmm. when, when you know, Josh Gaddis really hasn't had as long a relationship with, with uh, him as some of these other guys. So, uh, Miami's going to push hard. I know they, they want that elite receiver, as you mentioned, um, but I don't know. It, it seems like they're playing big time catch up. And then William Fowles, you know, you mentioned him before picking Louisville. You know, Miami, obviously, uh, I think l- liked him in some capacity, but not, certainly not enough to make him a priority. And maybe that's a situation where if they don't get a Hakeem Williams or they can't flip a Brandon Innes or somebody of that ilk, you know, one of those elite receivers, do you think there's a chance they still go back and try to and maybe pry him away from Louisville? Uh, yeah, I think I think there's a chance that they they circle back. Um, I think the fact that they, you know, kind of didn't make him a priority at the moment uh, shows, you know, just that they're confident they can go out and, and get someone. And if not, that they can circle back and, and flip him later on if needed. Um, and just to touch on Hakeem, um, you know, again, with the relationships Miami is a little bit behind there, but I think one of the big things that they're pushing is uh, just their quarterback room. Uh, obviously, as a, as a wide receiver, that's important. Um, 
there's not many teams in the country that have a quarterback room that's set up for success over the next three, four, five years, uh, like Miami is with, you know, obviously Tyler Van Dyke will be gone by the time he gets here, but you still have uh, Jake Garcia, who's looked really good behind him, Ja'Curry Brown, who's very talented behind him, and then uh, obviously Jaden Rashada, uh, that would be in, in the same class with Hakeem. Uh, and there's not many schools that, you know, can offer that kind of stability um, going forward at that quarterback position to a receiver. Uh, and especially not, uh, you know, some of the other schools in, in his recruitment, especially, uh, you know, schools like Florida State. They don't have a quarterback committed in this class. Um, obviously, that's been a shaky position now for them for a couple of years. Um, so I think that's one of the things that Miami's really trying to show them is, uh, you know, you're, you're going to be set at quarterback if you come here. So I think he, he kind of wants to see what Gaddis's offense looks like. I think uh, a lot of these coaches are... Um, you know, at other schools are, are trying to tell not just him, but just receivers in general that are looking at Miami. Oh, you know, Gaddis is just going to run the ball. You're not going to get the ball there or anything like that. Um, so I think uh, some of these receivers want to want to wait and see what exactly this offense looks like uh, under Gaddis. But I think having the quarterback room set up like it is, is, is going to be a big plus uh, for some of these guys that they're still going after. Yeah, that's a great point. And, uh, you know, I will say from, from, from talking to Hakeem that, you know, uh, he loved the city of Pittsburgh. Like I asked mm-hmm. him, I said, where'd you have the most fun? He said, Pittsburgh. And I was kind of blown away. It's like, you don't think about <laughs> Pittsburgh maybe being a fun city, but as far as just, uh, you know, his ex- personal experience of traveling and so forth, uh, you know, he, the one thing he did say too, was he wants to wait and see kind of how the season starts for, for every one of his teams. Mm-hmm. So he's giving this a little bit of time. There is time to catch up. Um, well, that's kind of the latest on the, on the receiver front. Uh, we mentioned in the last podcast, you know, receiver, defensive line, safety. Those are kind of the three primary areas going forward with Miami 17 commits. I think the class is ranked ninth again in the mm-hmm. 247 sports composite, obviously just because teams keep adding, you know, teams in the top 10 keep adding. So they so they slip from seven back to nine, but still a very, very solid and elite class in my mind. Um, Jaden Bonds is a guy we've talked about a ton on here. He's finally going to make his uh, announcement, I guess, soon. Um, and it doesn't look like it's going Miami's way. It looks like he's going to Ohio State. We mentioned that in the last podcast. But I want to ask you about um, a couple of other defensive backs. Um, Dejon Johnson, obviously, is a big one. Top 100 cornerback in the country. Um, uh, top 100 recruit regardless of position, but, you know, top cornerback in the country. Um, he hasn't committed to Florida. And, and we kind of were saying last podcast, the longer that thing goes, <clears throat> the better it is for Miami. What's the latest you're hearing with Dijon? Is there a chance that they get him down here once camp ends and they can start hosting recruits? Uh, so for a while, obviously, it looked like you know Florida was the leader that weekend uh, once he left and, and didn't commit there, kind of opened things back up. Um, there was a period of time last week, and I think still now, where the vibe is kind of he might end up just back at Ohio State. Um, wow. They seem to, to be back in the picture. Um, he, he's talking to them a lot more again, but I think he's right now. I think, I think he's truly undecided. I think there's definitely a couple ways that it can go. Um, and I think Miami's just hoping that he holds off on his decision and, and decides to take an official visit down here uh, once the season starts. And uh, I think that, like I said last time, they feel confident that if, if he holds off and they do get him on campus for an official um, that they can seal the deal there. Um, so I think again, you know, the longer this thing drags on, which he seems pretty undecided right now. So if this does drag on into the season, uh, Miami can get him down here for for a visit for a game. I think uh, that'll put them in a good position. But uh, he, he seems pretty open right now. Like I said, it wouldn't surprise me if it ends up being UF. Um, if he ends up just going back to Ohio State, or um, you know, if it does end up being Miami, I think he's he's pretty open to all three at the moment. 
Uh, so I think a lot of it's just going to come down to how the season starts and who can uh, get them down for an official visit um, once, uh, you know, during once the games start up again. I'm going to ask you uh, just little updates on, you know, two SFE guys, uh, Cormani McLean and Damari Brown, you know, two other possible options for Miami. I know we, we've said all along Miami's kind of running second on Cormani, but anything changing with that relationship, any chance at all that, you know, maybe they could surprise Alabama. And if not, um, you know, how are, how are things kind of looking with Damari? Uh, so with Cormani, I think obviously Alabama's still the leader in the clubhouse there. Um, a lot of it's going to come down to how the season goes, uh, but I think uh, Alabama's got a, a decent lead there. Um, I know he's he's really close with uh, with Coach T. Rob, who who used to be here at Miami, um, was actually the one that started recruiting him to uh, to Miami. So he's had a, a relationship with him for a while, and now is is recruiting him to Alabama. Uh, so I think Alabama's definitely the in the lead there. Um, I know he's he's very close with uh, Tony Mitchell, who's currently committed to Alabama. So that's another thing pulling him there. Um, if Tony Mitchell were to look elsewhere, you know, maybe uh, that opens things up a little bit more with Cormani. Uh, but I think right now, Alabama is definitely the leader there. Um, and then with Demar, I still think Miami's in a good position there. Um, he hasn't, uh, once he visited Alabama and Clemson and, and didn't commit to either, um, I think that that pretty much uh, made Miami feel really good there. His, his dad obviously played for UM. Uh, he's got a lot of UM ties. He's He's been on campus a ton. He was out there. Um, for Paradise Camp, he was just all decked out in UM gear. Um, I see him, you know, anytime I see him at UM or here and there, he's, he's always in, in UM shirts, UM shorts, whatever the case may be. Um, so I think he's he's just kind of waiting on making his decision, not rushing into anything. Uh, but I think they, they feel they're in a, in a really good spot there with him. Miami's got uh, another defensive back who's supposed to be, you know, he's scheduled to take an OV to Miami, uh, kid out of Georgia, Bryce Thornton, uh, out of Alpharetta, Georgia, Milton High School. Uh, 5'10", 185 pound, three-star safety. Uh, obviously, there's some, you know, top-tier safeties here in Miami's backyard, some of them that played, obviously, for SFE. Um, curious what you think happens now that Bonsu, it looks looks like he's going to Ohio State. Um, yes, yeah, so I, th- I think we touched on it a little bit at the end of, of the last episode. Um, they'll probably look at, at some local guys, um, you know, a, a Damon Fagan, who's committed to NC State, uh, a Conrad Hussey, um, you know, guys like that at, um, King Mac at St. Thomas as well. And then, uh, yeah, it seems like if they do look out of state, um, Bryce Thornton seems to be their, uh, their new target that they're kind of after. Um, he's a, a, you know, top 500 play overall. He's, uh, just outside that, the the four star range. He's a, a three star in the two, four, seven composite. Um, but he's got some big offers, especially for his, um, you know, for being a three star, he's got offers from Alabama, Florida, Miami, Clemson. Um, he's got close to 30 offers. Um, and he is planning at least to, to come down for an official visit uh, September 23rd, uh, followed by uh, visits to Florida and, and Alabama in October. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. If they can get him, uh, you know, to, to follow through with that visit on the 23rd. Um, and, you know, if they can either get him to, to shut things down there and not take those visits to Florida and Bama after, or, or, you know, if he goes through those visits at Florida and Bama and doesn't commit, um, I think we'll, uh, We'll get a better idea of where Miami is after those three visits in, in September and October. But uh, that seems to be kind of the guy they're, they're shifting towards now after missing out on, on some recent safety targets. Yeah. Um, defensive line, obviously still a position to lead, you, you know, need. You got Jaden Wayne, the, the you know top 100 defensive end edge rusher part of the class. But there's other guys that they are 
involved with. And Damon Wilson, I guess, this week uh, was mentioning Miami being in his top five. Uh, kid out of ed- another edge rusher out of Venice. Uh, and then Samuel and Pemba out of Bradenton IMG Academy, another big target. Um, tell me kind of what's going on with those two guys uh, and what you've heard. So I think they feel pretty good about both of them there. They've got uh, some really good relationships with with both of them. Um, and Pemba, his recruitment, it, it seemed like he was very, very pro-Miami. Um, then there were some people that got in his ear for a little bit, and it seemed like things were going George's way. Um, not sure exactly what happened there, but apparently there was some uh, some relationships that got t- you know kind of uh, pulled apart there. Um, and, and those people aren't necessarily as close with him anymore. Uh, and it seems now that uh, Miami... Could could be back in the driver's seat in that recruitment. Uh, obviously, he came down for the the barbecue um, recently, and uh, just seems to be very pro Miami recently. Uh, things seem to to be swinging back in, in their way. I know he plans to to get down here again um, once the season starts, and then uh, Damon Wilson as well is another kid that they're definitely trending in the right direction with. Um, he's been a really fast riser. I think he's all the way up on three has him as the number three overall player in the country um, on their rankings. Uh, so he's he's another kid that they they feel pretty good about. Um, I think not sure if they end up getting both, but I think just based on on how they feel about either of them, um, I think they feel pretty comfortably about at least landing one of them. Uh, and if you can pair one of them with a, a Jaden Wayne, that's a an elite elite you know edge class uh, to pull two five star top fifty players at at that position. Yeah, and and I caught up with Ruben Bain um, at this uh, media day event over the weekend out of Miami Central. He's also a top 100 recruit in the country, four star. Obviously, had 29 sacks last year uh, at Central for that state championship program. And um, you know, the sense I got from Ruben, obviously, his brother is on the staff at Miami, um, and you know, his his former high school coach Roland Smith is there. That's not going to preclude him, um, you know, from from going to Miami. I spoke to. Uh, his high school coach, uh, Jube Joseph, and I asked him that question. I said, is there anything in, you know, in terms of NCAA rules that are going to preclude him from going to Miami? He said, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so uh, I think without question, Ruben um, is is very much interested in Miami and coming to Miami. But I think at the same time, too, it's not a slam dunk. And part of that is because Alabama's uh, really, I thought, I think done a really good job recruiting him. Obviously, Auburn. Um, is another program um, that he's visited and has a relationship with because of uh, you know some of the coaches that are there that that have some ties to to Ruben. Um, but I think uh, you know, and Oklahoma is a place that he liked a lot too. But I think you know when when it comes to him, it, it looks more of like a Miami Alabama battle. I spoke to uh, Charles Fishbein this week to kind of get his opinion on Hakeem Williams and Ruben Bain. The thing he told me about Ruben is. You know, he 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 considers him uh, just just like um, the other kid out of St. Thomas who's at Alabama right now, tearing things up behind Will Anderson, Dallas uh, Turner, Dallas Turner, and he says that's who he reminds him of, uh, and and a lot, you know. And and I said, well, you know, people people say, you know, maybe Ruben gets to the point where he's too big and they got to move him inside, and he disagrees. He just thinks, you know, the kid has some great moves, um, and and can stay out on the edge, is fast and athletic enough to stay out there. Um, I guess that's, what are you, what are your thoughts on Ruben? Uh, I mean, I think that's kind of my concern with him. Just obviously, he's a great prospect. I mean, the you know the stats speak for themselves. His, his production is is elite. Um, but he's kind of in between. He's I think listed at like six two two fifty. Um, so he's not really your your you know your long, uh, fast edge rusher that that seems to be, you know that prototypical six five six six lengthy guy that can get around the corner. Um, 
And at the same time, I don't think he necessarily has the frame if he were to move inside to get up to, you know, 290, 300 pounds. Um, so he's kind of he's kind of in between, um, you know, not a knock on him. It's just it'd be weird. You know, it'd be interesting to see how he would be used. Um, I think that's part of what he's looking for in a school is to see how they want to use him. Um, because, like I said, he, he's kind of in between at that 6'2", 250 range. Um, so I think uh, one of the things he's mainly looking for is is just talking to the defensive staffs and, and seeing what their plan is for him uh, at the next level. Um, so obviously Miami's, you know, right there in the thick of things with him. Like you said, they've got his brother on staff. They've got um, his recent high school coach, Roland Smith, on staff. Um, obviously, they've got tons of ties and connections with Miami Central recently and just over the years. Um, so I think they're they're very, you know, much in the middle of things there. Um, it seems like, like you said, them and, and Alabama seem to be the two front runners. Uh, I think a lot of it's just going to come down to um, which system he thinks he fits in, given his his skill set. Uh, so we'll, we'll see. I guess he'll, he'll talk to, you know, Miami's defensive staff, Alabama's defensive staff, and anyone else that, uh, you know, is in there for him. Um, and it's just going to come down to, I think, where he feels more comfort- most comfortable uh, on the field and, and how he's being used out there. Yep. Andrew, appreciate you catching up with me, man. Um, I know uh, things are going to slow down a little bit on the recruiting front, so maybe we take a break for a little while until uh, there's some more stuff that happens. But I appreciate you coming in and being our uh, our resident recruiting insider. They always provide good content and uh, conversation. Anytime. Yeah, it was great speaking with you. And uh, yeah, it should be a, a fun season, especially uh, you know once, once the games get going again. Uh, if, if Miami does well, uh, hopefully it seems like things are going that way. And, uh, you know, if they win... Wins nine, ten games this year. Get some kids on campus for official visits. It, uh, you know, could keep the ball rolling with this class. Yep, agreed. All right, brother. Have a good one. Yeah.